good afternoon, everybody. Great to see you in the house today. Hey, Merry Christmas. Man, isn't it great? It is Christmas Eve uh, right now. And really, we are just joining in on believers all over the world that are celebrating Christmas alongside with us. But they do it in a little bit different way. For example, if you're in Australia... Since they're in the Southern Hemisphere, this Christmas happens during their summertime. And so if you were going to be there celebrating Christmas, you would be barbecuing on the beach somewhere. That's what they do at Christmas. If you were in Finland, then the whole family goes to the sauna. I don't know, you might think about that for this afternoon, maybe. Uh, Go to the sauna. Uh, If you were in the Congo, then you would bring gifts to the church and those gifts would be distributed to the poor in the community. Uh, If you were in Germany, then you would have already cut down your tree and dragged it in and decorated it. And yeah, that's where we get our tradition of Christmas trees is from Germany. And then, of course, if you're in Italy, then uh, you wouldn't go door to door singing songs. You would go door to door uh, reciting Christmas poetry. Okay, so you can try that as well. But these are some of the traditions where believers all over the world are celebrating Christmas. I I know you've got your own traditions. Some of you are Christmas Eve present openers. Some of you are purists, the Christmas Day present openers. I'm not going to ask you which one you are, okay, but you know who you are. Uh, You know, we have our own tradition. We like to eat Cornish hens on Christmas Eve. It's just a thing we've been doing for a long time. But you've all got your thing, right? You've got your thing. But here's here's the question I really want to pose to you today, and that is simply this. Why do we do it? I mean, why, why do we go through all the traditions? Why the Christmas gifts and why uh, the celebrations? Why the parties? Why the things that we do? Why do we do it? And of course, you might say, well, Craig, of course, it's because of Jesus, right? We're in church, it's Jesus is the answer. And that's true. But why did Jesus come as he did? Why was it necessary for him to come? And why does it matter to you? Why does it matter to you? That's what I want to talk about. You know, we've been in a series called The Song of Christmas. And we've been looking at the prelude and the melody and the crescendo and even the dissonance within the Song of Christmas. But tonight, for just a few minutes, I want us to just open up God's Word. That's what we do at our church. We always open up God's Word. And so we're just going to dive into God's Word. And we're going to look at the chorus of Christmas. See, the chorus is the part of the song that everybody knows. The chorus is the part of the song that's repeated. It's the part that you remember. And there is a chorus in the song of Christmas that God wants you to remember. To let it ring in your hearts and in your minds during this Christmas season. Okay? So, I want you to get your Bible, open it up with me to Hebrews chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one at your seat. Or maybe you've got one on your device, however you want to do it. Fire it up, open it up. Hebrews chapter 2 is where we're going to be uh, this afternoon for just a few uh, minutes. Uh, The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish followers of Jesus. These are people that grew up in Judaism that uh, saw Jesus as the Messiah and they were fired up about it. They were excited that they had finally met the Messiah and were following the Messiah Jesus and they were so thrilled and then life happened. Uh, all of a sudden, problems started to come and resistance and rejection and, and, and trouble started knocking on their door. And, and now with it came a lot of doubts and questions. 
And so quite honestly, this book is written to people who are struggling in their faith. They're struggling. That may be you. You may be here today and you're, you know, truth of the matter is you're looking great on the outside, but on the inside, you're really struggling with this whole idea of why has God allowed these things to happen to me? Or why hasn't my life turned out differently than it is? And, and you're struggling. You've got questions and you've got maybe some doubts in your mind. All the way through this book, uh, the author is saying, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, set your eyes on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. And so we're going to look at a passage here that's going to unpack for us who Jesus is and why he had to come the way he came and why it matters today. Okay, so let's just dive into it. Hebrews uh, chapter two, we're beginning at verse five. And uh, this is the word of God, amen? For he is not subjected to angels, the world to come that we were talking about, but someone somewhere has testified, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that was not subjected to him. As it is, we do not see everything subjected to him. Now stop right there. You're going, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> that seems very confusing. What is he saying? Really what he's saying is this. God made the world for us to enjoy and to, and to rule, all right? God created the world. He created, he created everything about this world for his people uh, to enjoy and to rule over. In fact, this goes all the way back to Genesis. First book in the Bible, when God creates man and woman, and then he says this in verse, uh, chapter one, verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. God has this high view of mankind, men and women. You're not like the animals. God's got this plan for you and he wants you to enjoy and to rule the creation he made. It's kind of like, I, I picture it like uh, a man who creates a big company. And one day he turns to his son and he puts his arm around his son and says, you know what? I made all of this and I want you to run it. And I'm just going to delight in you running it. That's what God had in mind for us. Uh, this ideal that we would be uh, ruling and walking with him and ruling in that way. And yet, we see here in verse 8 the problem. God made us to be that way. But it seems more like the, the world is on top of us than we're on top of the world. It seems like we're more under the weight of our own circumstances than really walking in the freedom that God has. Now listen, we, we know that instinctively just on a global sense, right? Uh, you back up and take a wide-angle view at the world, and it's crazy. You agree with that? It's nuts out there. I mean, there are all kinds of wars and, and famine and, and, and heartache and disease. I mean, we spent a couple of years ago, we were all shut down, and we were just so reminded of the fragility of our own life. Same thing is true in, in our own personal life. I mean, this Christmas is probably not perfect in your house. I mean, we, we're dealing with ruptured relationships and we're dealing with anxiety and depression and we're dealing with all kinds of problems on every side. We're constantly reminded of our weakness. We're constantly succumbing to our, our circumstances. We're constantly defeated 
by our own temptations and controlled by our addictions. We're not on top of the world, we're under it. And there's this kind of growing sense that life just isn't what it ought to be. It's not what it should be. I mean, every time I stand at the edge of a grave, uh, there's something in us that goes, this is not right. Something's wrong. That great thinker and writer, G.K. Chesterton, he put it this way, this one thing is certain, we are not what we were meant to be. We are not what we were meant to be. And so at the end of verse eight, he's like, God created us with this great view, but we're not living under it. Something's terribly wrong. And then you get to verse nine. Look at verse nine, very few words here, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. Now I want you to underline that because that is Christmas day. Here is Jesus, right? King of the universe. And he comes into our world for a short time, made a little lower than the angels. For a short time, he put on humanity and he became like us. And this now is what we understand the the chorus of Christmas really is about. The chorus of Christmas is this. Jesus came for you. Jesus came for you. You say, well, what does that mean? Jesus came for me. What does that mean? Well, let me, let me just unpack it right here in this passage, all right? First off, it means that Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to save you. Look at verse 9, the back end of verse 9. He said, so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. Now I want you to notice at the beginning of verse 9 there, he uses the word so that, so that. In fact, that appears three different times in this passage. And it's what you call a purpose clause. So that tells you why something happens. So that this may happen. Jesus came in the flesh. Why did he come in the flesh? Look at it again. So that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. Why did Jesus come the way that he did? Jesus was born in a manger to die. He was born with a physical body so that he could die on the cross for us. You see, the real problem here with us is not just that we can't get our act together. It's not that we can't quite get to our goals or achieve what we want to in life or that our relationships have a hard time working out or I can't just seem to be happy. That's not the problem. The problem is a much deeper issue, a much deeper, more spiritual issue, and that is the issue of sin. That sin is what separates us from God. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 58 says that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. We've veered off course. We've lost our way and we're cut off from a relationship with God, and that is what frustrates us. That's what frustrates our relationships. What frustrates our world is sin. It separates us from God. And sin also deserves a punishment. That's why the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. 
The wages of sin is death. Now, now do you understand why Jesus had to come and die? Jesus was born in a manger so that through his physical body, he could offer it up as a sacrifice for you and for me. Though we were separate from God, though we had done wrong, though we had offended God, that Jesus took on your sin. He was cloaked in your sin. And on the cross, he paid the penalty for the things you and I have done. You said, man, that's not fair. That's right. That's called grace. That's God's grace that Jesus came to save you. Think about it. Just the king of the universe stepping out of heaven into time to to put himself under the weight of our sin to die for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. And listen, because of that, death on the cross, two things have happened. One is Jesus made a way for you to be right with God. In verse 10, it says he has brought many sons and daughters to glory. All right, I love that. He has brought many sons and daughters to glory. In fact, in verse 10, Jesus is called a, some versions say the pioneer of our salvation. Some versions say the source of our salvation. Others use the term leader, captain, uh, champion, author, founder, all these different words. Why? Well, the, the Greek word, bear in mind here just a minute, let, give me some latitude. The Greek word is archigos, all right? And, and I love that because archigos means the one who does something for someone else that they can't do for themselves, all right? That's the archigos, Every Marvel movie's got an archegos, right? Uh, people are struggling. Somebody has to come from the outside to do what they cannot do. That is what the word means. And Jesus came to us to make a way for us. One scholar said, picture it this way. You're on a boat. And, uh, and this boat gets stuck on a sandbar. And the waves are knocking against it. And you're stuck. You can't do anything with it. All of a sudden you hear a splash. And someone has, has, has dove off into the water. And they're swimming to shore with a rope. And when they get to the, to the land, now they're pulling the boat to safety. He is making a way for us to be safe. And that is exactly what Jesus did on Christmas. He dove into our world, the darkness of it, the waywardness of it. He became one, he became like us so that he could bring us back to God. 1 Peter 3.18 makes this really, really clear. He said, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous, that's him. For the unrighteous, that's us. Why? So that he might bring you to God. So Jesus came into this world to make a way for us to be right with God. But not only that, he also destroyed the devil and the power of death through his death on the cross. Look at verse 14. Just run your finger down to verse 14. He says, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that, there it is again, the purpose clause, through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Jesus on the cross defeated our greatest enemy, that's the devil, and his greatest weapon, that is death itself. You know, there's a, there's a mental fixation called thanatophobia. 
Thanatophobia is the constant uh, obsession with one's own death. And they're always thinking about it, always thinking about it, can't get it out of their mind. Now, most people don't suffer from that. Hopefully you don't suffer from that. But we all are very much aware that the clock is ticking. All right? I mean, every time I look in the mirror, I'm like, Craig, you're not what you used to be. All right? I mean, it's just the way it is. You know, the clock is ticking, man. It's ticking. And we realize that death awaits every one of us. And what will happen to us when we die? What will happen to you when you die? When that moment comes, what will it be like? And what will it be like on the other side? And Jesus came so that those of us who face death don't see it as the end of the road or the final enemy that can't be conquered. But Jesus has conquered the grave and we see death only as a doorway into the very presence of God himself. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, we have a tradition in our family, speaking of traditions, Every Christmas Eve, we've done this for the last 30 years. And that is that after the last Christmas Eve service, we will uh, leave the church building and we will go across the street to Blue Bonnet and we will find the headstone of our triplets that were born on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, 30 years ago today. And we will gather around in a circle and hold hands and we will thank God for Christmas Day because Jesus came. We don't have to see this as the end of the line because Jesus came. He has conquered death and we have a reunion coming. Listen, for some of you, this has been a hard Christmas. For some of you, there's, there's a place that's empty at your table. I've talked with some of you. I've been in the hospital. Mom went home, home to be with the Lord uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Dad's on hospice now. You know, we lost my brother just last week. I hear this over and over and over and over. But because Jesus made a way, because he died to save us, death is a doorway. And we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Amen. So, so why did Jesus come? Jesus came to save you. He came to save you. But let me give you another one. Jesus also came to delight over you. Look at verse 11. I love this. He said, that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God has given me. I just love that statement. He said, he's not ashamed of you. I mean, when you come to faith in Christ, he's not like, hey, all right, get your act together, then we'll talk, you know. Uh, clean up and then we'll talk. You know, get to church and do more church stuff, then we'll talk. No, he doesn't do that. When you come to faith in Christ, he embraces you just the way you are. And he delights over you. Hey, listen to me. Listen to me. Some of you, let me, just, let me just give you the best Christmas gift I can possibly give you. Some of you are walking in this room tonight and you are carrying this heavy burden of guilt. I just have so much regret I know, I just know how I've hurt so many people. I can't believe what I've done. God could never forgive me. He could never love me. He could never really accept me because I know what I've done. I so regret what I've done. I'm so ashamed of my life. 
But I want you to understand, listen to Jesus. He said, listen, I'm not pushing you away. When you come to faith in Christ, uh, he, he embraces you. He's not ashamed of you. You may say, well, I'm still struggling with shame. Hey, hey, he's not ashamed of you. You're his son and daughter. You're his brother, his sister. He's not ashamed of you. Jesus said, all who come to me, all the Father gives me will come to me. And all who come to me, I will never push away. That's good news, right? Not only does he not push you away, but he says, I'm going to sing over you. By the way, this is the, one of the only passages in the Bible that talks about Jesus singing. Isn't that a cool thought? Jesus singing, like singing over you, delighting over you. Uh, I remember years and years ago when our uh, youngest daughter was really little. And uh, she was like in the car seat. She was in the back seat. And, uh, and we were just driving along. And uh, I'm just kind of singing a song. And, and uh, I broke out into this song. How I love you, Abby, I love you. How I love you, Abby, I love you. How I love you. It was kind of a Christian song. I kind of adapted. All right. She doesn't know that. So just keep it between us. And, uh, and so I'm just singing this song, singing over her. I love her. And then I heard in the back seat. How I love you, daddy, I love you. How I love you, daddy, I love you. How I love you. Listen, that's what Jesus wants to do, is sing over you. Picture a young mom holding a baby, and she's holding that baby close. She's singing over that child. She's singing her love. That child uh, doesn't earn it, didn't deserve it, doesn't do anything to cause her to love it. Uh, that mother just loves that baby. And that's how God feels about you. Zephaniah, we read, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Listen, you don't have to earn his love tonight. You don't have to work for it. And fear that you will lose it. You come to Jesus simply by faith. And he delights over you with singing. Why did Jesus come? He came to save you. He came to delight in you. But let me give you one more real quick, all right, as we wrap it up. He came to care for you. He came to care for you. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that, there is a purpose statement again, he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in the matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. I love that verse, man. I love it. You know, there's a statement that says, uh, your misery is your ministry. You ever heard that? Your misery is your ministry. That simply means that when you go through something really hard, that once you kind of get through it, if you see somebody else going through the same thing, now all of a sudden you can minister to them because you've been there. You, you walk through grief and then you see somebody grieving, you can go to them and you can say, hey, look, I know what you're feeling because I've been there. Somebody's lost their job and you just walk through job loss. You say, man, Listen, I know what you've been through because I've been there. Somebody's struggling with anxiety and you, and you gravitate to them and say, man, I know what you're going through because I've been there. The reason why Jesus came the way he did 
was so that he could look at you and me in our worst moments of our life and Jesus look at you and say, I know what you're going through because I've been there. See, when Jesus came, he didn't, he didn't come with the easy life. He didn't come the, the easy road. He walked a hard road, a road of suffering and rejection in every possible way. Are you lonely tonight? Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. Are you brokenhearted tonight? Jesus knows what it's like for his heart to break. Are you fearful tonight? Jesus knows what that feels like. And one of the greatest comforts of my life is no matter what I've been through in my life, no matter how dark it's gotten, I know that Jesus is with me and that he understands me more than I could possibly realize. That's why Peter said these words, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Listen, no one can comfort you like Jesus. No one cares for you like Jesus. No one can guide you like Jesus. No one can give you direction like Jesus. No one can give you hope like Jesus. That's why he came. The course of Christmas is that Jesus came for you. He came to save you. He came, came to delight over you and to lift the burden of guilt off your shoulders. He came to help you in the darkest moments of your life. That's why he came. In the mid-1800s, it was one of the darkest seasons in the history of our country. We'd just come off a two-year bloody war with Mexico with many, many, many casualties. Several people had left their family farms to go to the cities to find prosperity only to be entrapped in poverty. Several Men had abandoned their families to go to California for the gold rush, leaving their wives and children to fend for themselves. The country was being ripped apart with such great tension that it would soon erupt into a bloody civil war. It was a very dark time in our nation's history. And it was during that time on a Christmas Eve, much like tonight, that a pastor sat down to write a poem. His name was Edmund Sears. And the poem that he wrote was later entitled, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, which we now know as one of our favorite Christmas songs. What many people tend to skip over is the fourth stanza, which to me really speaks to us. And I want to read it to you on this Christmas Eve. All ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now. For glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Does that describe you? Are you weary, tired, the load of life heavy on your shoulders? 
He said, stop and listen to the angels sing. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came for you. Won't you bow your heads with me for just a minute? I just want you to be still in this moment. Have you come to a place in your life where you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus came for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose again from the dead. But maybe on this Christmas Eve, this is the time for you to say yes to him. Yes, I want to trust you, Lord. And right where you are, you can call out to him. The Bible says he who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, you can just confess your sin. Say, Lord, I know I've sinned against you. You can say, Lord, I believe that you died on a cross and rose again from the dead. Lord, I'm turning from my sin to place my faith in you. Lord, please forgive me and wash me clean. Maybe you're here tonight and you struggle with a heavy weight. Jesus understands. Would you cast that onto him tonight? Lord, I thank you that in this moment you are here. That Lord Jesus, you came for us. You came to save us. You came to delight over us, God. You came to, to help us in our darkest moments. Lord Jesus, thank you. And Lord, tonight we worship you. In the stillness of this moment, we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.